Luke, Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. And he said there was a certain man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the part of the property that falls to me. And he divided the estate between them. And not many days after that, the younger son gathered up all that he had and journeyed into a distant country. And there he wasted his fortune in reckless and loose from restraint living. And when he had spent all he had, a mighty famine came upon that country, and he began to fall behind and be in want. So he went and forced himself upon one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed hogs. And he would gladly have fed on and filled his belly with the carob pods that the hogs were eating, but they could not satisfy his hunger, and nobody gave him anything better. Then when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have enough food, and even food to spare, but I am perishing here of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and came to his own father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with pity and tenderness for him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him fervently. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I no longer deserve to be recognised as a son of yours. But the father said to his bond servants, Bring quickly the best robe, the festive robe of honour, and put it on him, and give him a ring for his hand and sandals for his feet. And bring out that wheat fattened calf and kill it, and let us revel and feast and be happy and make merry. Because this my son was dead and is alive again, he was watched and is found, and they began to revel and feast and make merry. But his older son was in the field, and as he returned and came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And having called one of the servant boys to him, he began to ask what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed that weak fat and calf, because he has received him back safe and well. But the elder brother was angry with deep shoots of wrath, and resolved not to go in. Then his father came out and began to plead with him. He answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me so much as your little kid, that I might revel and feast and be happy and make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours arrived, who has devoured your estate with immoral women, who have killed for him that weak, fattened calf. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to make merry, to revel and feast and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was watched and is found. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. Early in the morning at dawn, he came back into the temple court, and the people came to him in crowds. He sat down and was teaching them. When the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, they made her stand in the middle of the court and put the case before him. Teacher, they said, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such women shall be stoned to death. But what do you say to do with her? What is your sentence? This they said to try to test him, hoping that they might find a charge on 
which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. However, when they persisted with their question, he raised himself up and said, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he bent down and went on writing on the ground with his finger. They listened to him, and then they began going out, conscience-stricken one by one, from the oldest down to the last one of them, till Jesus was left alone with the woman, standing there before him in the centre of the court. When Jesus raised himself up, he said to her, "'Woman, where are your accusers?' Has no man condemned you? She answered, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go on your way, and from now on, sin no more. I want to speak about grace. Because it's brought me to this place where I'm standing today. And it's taken a long time me to really start to understand what grace means. I knew it in my head straight away, as soon as I became a Christian, when I was 20 years old, I understood grace. And uh, I read, thank you, I read the Bible for the first time when I was 20. And I read the parable of the lost son when I was 20 for the first time. And it was amazing. Jesus told this parable to the Pharisees because they were complaining. Because Jesus was hanging around with all the wicked sinners. And he was eating meals with them. And they were hanging on his every word. And the, the religious people really didn't like this. This just wasn't done. This, this wasn't what the law was about. And um, so he told this parable to explain to them how much God loved them, the Pharisees, the religious people, as well as the sinners. And I understood this straight away. I got it. I got what Jesus was saying. And I, I was just so full of joy at the, the very fact that God loved me. And I went along to church and I was chatting away to everybody at the end of the service, like we do here. And I was telling one of the older men in the church, he wasn't an elder, but he was an older man. Um, He was older than my dad, so he was probably wasn't that old now, but then he was old. And I was telling him, I'd read this parable. And it's amazing how much God loves me. You know, it's... I was so full of joy about it. And um, he said to me, a lot of Christians get this parable wrong. And I don't want you to make that mistake. This parable was not told so that for Christians to think that they can just go away from God. Um, you can't crucify Jesus a second time. He actually used that scripture to back his, back it up. And um, he said, this, script, this parable is for you to go out into the world and tell other people who aren't Christians that they have a father who loves them and they have to come back to him. That's what the parable means. Don't think that you can just, you know, 
do whatever you please. You've got, you know, you can't. And I just felt like, I can remember how I felt, and it was 40 years ago, nearly. And I can remember thinking, oh, God doesn't love me that much. I really thought, it's like the bird that came and got the seed. The devil snatched that word from your heart. And after that, I think I started to be religious, just a little bit. Never very good at it, to be honest. But yeah, I was self-righteous in the end, and a bit sort of condemning other people, judgmental. And yes, as years went by, I ended up going away from God. And I ended up in the pig pen. So I've been both these brothers. <laughs> and um, I didn't think I could go back to God. I really didn't. I thought I'd, I'd messed it up, good and proper. And that, that was the end. I'd had my chance and I'd missed it. And it was many, many years later... I went to a conference, and the conference, it was a women's retreat, and the conference was all about the prodigal son. And I heard, I was sat in the back row when I arrived on the Friday night, giggling with my friends. And by Sunday morning, I was in flood of tears, because I finally got back to that place where I left God, where I walked out of his grace. And I finally got back to that place, and I've been growing in that grace ever since. But I just found it so hard to believe that God loved me. I couldn't understand him loving everybody else. Even the worst kind of people. But not me. Somehow I couldn't, just couldn't get it. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For it is by free grace. This is in the Amplified. All my scriptures are from the Amplified. Get more words. (laughs) For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favour, God's undeserved favour. That's the word that I couldn't quite get. Undeserved. You don't have to deserve it. That you are saved, delivered from judgment. Delivered from judgment. And made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. So grace has the power to save from the power of sin. That's what we're saved from, isn't it? What we're saved from, the power of sin. Judgment. When you think of the power of sin, how lives are messed up. This beautiful world that we live in. I was driving over this morning and I was looking at the reservoir and the hills. So beautiful. And yet sin has corrupted and just ravaged the world, hasn't it? And it's it's horrible. And people's lives are such a mess and it's just the power of sin. That's all it is. And yet grace is more powerful. Romans 5.20 Where sin increased and abounded, God's unmerited favour has surpassed it and increased the more and superabounded. So in other words, it's completely out of proportion to sin is grace. Completely out of proportion. That's the power 
that saves us from judgment and eternal death. We won't die, we won't be judged. We won't be judged for our sin if it's been dealt with. We won't, we won't, we'll never know what eternal death is. Somewhere where God isn't, we're not going to go there. By grace. Not by being a good person. How hard do we try to be good? Now I chose these two um, scriptures. Did she do well, Ruth? Um, because they both they clearly show the law and grace at work. You can see it so clearly in both of them. <clears throat> now let's just talk about the law of Moses for a minute. The Bible says it's good. 1 Timothy 1.8 The function of the law <clears throat> is to make people recognise and be conscious of sin. And it works. James 2.10 For whosoever keeps the law as a whole but stumbles and offends in one single instance has become guilty of breaking all of it. So we've all broken the law. No matter how hard we've tried, we've all done it. We all have a sinful nature. It's called the flesh. Paul said in Romans 7 verse 18 In my flesh there is nothing good. Jeremiah says, the human heart is deceitful. This is where the uh, Amplified, Amplified Bible version comes in very handy. The human heart is deceitful above all things, and it is exceedingly perverse and corrupt and severely mortally sick. Romans 3.10 verse 11. None is righteous, just and truthful and upright. No, not one. And Isaiah 64 verse 6. For we have all become like one who is unclean, ceremonially like a leper. And all our righteousness, our best deeds, is like filthy rags or a polluted garment. So, you know, you can work really hard to be the very best person you can be. And you can succeed. I mean, I was never very good at it, but some people are really good at it. But you won't be that good. That's the human state. So when the word, Jesus, became flesh, he stooped very low. But God wants to be close to us. It's always God's desire from the beginning of creation. God wanted to dwell with his people. He wanted to be close to his people. And that's why he brought in the blood sacrifice, to cover the sin. And that's why he brought in the Sabbath, so they could have one day where they could concentrate on God. God wanted a special relationship with Israel. Exodus 19 verse 5, From among all the people of the earth, God wanted them to be his own Peculiar possession and treasure. That's why he brought the law. On Mount Sinai with a trumpet sound and a long blast, thunder and lightning, a thick cloud, Lord descended in fire and the whole mountain quaked. And God spoke the law. Number one, no idols, have no other gods. 
So Moses went up the mountain, we all know, covered in a cloud, 40 days and nights. And God wrote with his finger in stone the law. That makes it really important, doesn't it? When God writes it with his finger in stone, that's really important. And you know what happened next. Moses came down, and there they all were, breaking the first law. Didn't take them long. They'd made an idol. And Moses was angry, and he smashed them to bits. But God wanted them to have that law. They were going to have that law. And so God did it all again. Twice. Twice. And so the two tablets of stone were put in a golden ark in the holiest place in the tabernacle. And God dwelt with his people in fire and in a cloud and fire. That was God's plan to stay close to his people. And that was a picture, wasn't it? We know what it was a picture of, don't we? But completely all about Jesus. The two tablets of stone, the law. Jesus fulfilled that law. Jesus shed his blood, his perfect, precious blood. The veil was torn in two. And now we can enter right into the holiest place. Not only can we get that close to God, but we can have God in us as well. Can't get closer than that. God's plan came to fruition on the cross. The woman taken in adultery. There they all were with the stones ready. Full of righteous indignation. And Jesus was there. And they said to him, now Moses in the law commanded us that such women, offenders, shall be stoned to death. That's true. The death sentence was quite common for a lot of the laws. Blasphemy, breaking the Sabbath, not honouring your parents, death sentence. So they were perfectly within the rights to pick up these stones and hurl them at this woman. So they looked at Jesus and said, well, what do you say? And Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger in the ground. Can we have the, uh, Marilyn, can we have the grace in the sun? Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger in the ground. Then he raised himself up and said, Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. So there they all were then. So they dropped the stones. Maybe some of them threw them a little way. Maybe some have kept the stone. I think I would have done. I'm I'm a collect stone, so I think I'd have kept mine and reminded myself of that moment when I saw grace in action. Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And then he bent down and he went on writing on the ground with his finger. He did it twice. That was on St. Tan's Beach, that, (laughs) with my finger. And just before my grandson trashed it with a stick... (laughs) Just wait a minute, wait a minute. 
He wrote it twice. The finger of God. Falling from grace. What does that mean? Are we all right for time? Where is it? It means, according to Wikipedia, loss of status, respect or prestige. To sin and get on the wrong side of God. To do something bad which makes people in authority stop liking or admiring you. Example, when a celebrity falls from grace, they can find it difficult to get work in TV. To lose your reputation. But, Bible doesn't say that at all. Galatians 5.4. I think we've got it on the screen, have we? Galatians 5.4. Well, it's good this, isn't it? If you seek to be justified and declared righteous and to be given a right standing with God through the law, you are brought to nothing and so, separated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. Now this was written to believers. It doesn't mean that you lose your salvation, but you've fallen away from the awareness. You've lost the experience of grace. It did not have an effect on your life because you're too busy trying to do it yourself. You become religious, you abandon grace. If you become religious, you abandon grace. You're forgiven. Don't keep the guilt. If you've got any guilt, you shouldn't have it. You shouldn't have any guilt in your life at all. Any. If you've done something wrong, you just go to God, it's deal with it, it's gone. You shouldn't have guilt. A Christian should not feel guilty. Don't try and pay what is paid for. You can't buy and you can't earn a free gift. Don't try and make yourself lovable, presentable, acceptable. It is done. You are. You are lovable. And I have got one quote from Joyce Mayer. Just one. God is not disillusioned with you. He has no illusions. He knew what he was getting when he got you. You don't surprise him with what you do or say. Knowing grace. This is the last, the last bit now. Knowing grace. John knew grace, didn't he? The Apostle John. He says, Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, for years I thought John was Jesus' favourite. I really did. I thought, oh, he's got a favourite. You know, he's entitled. He's God. He can do what he likes. And I really thought that Jesus preferred John to all the other disciples. He was his special disciple. I hadn't connected the fact that John had written this. (laughs) Took me ages. And it says, um, he saw the disciple who Jesus loved following, the one who also had leaned back on his breast at supper. So John just knew, John just knew grace, he understood it completely, he knew how much God loved him. He used Jesus as a pillow. You only do that with people you really trust and love, don't you? My grandchildren use me as a pillow sometimes and it's lovely, because they know they can. And that's what John was doing. He was reclining and leaning back on Jesus. 
Some of you older ones might remember her. There was a woman preacher called Thelma Lloyd, and she used to go around the valley. And she's a right frumpy-looking woman with a woolly hat on, and she was a fierce preacher. She was full of the Holy Spirit. She used all the gifts of the Spirit. She knew all about you. She knew all about me, and, and I don't know how much she did. She was scary. <laughs> And she used to preach, and husband used to play the piano, and it just went round. And she used to say, she used to look at everyone, and she said, you know, I'm the apple of God's eye. And she think, who does she think she is, you know? And she said, no, I am. I am the apple of God's eye. And I'll tell you something else. I'm God's favourite. And then we all just sit there. And she, you are, but I am, and I know I am. And she, she just, she got it. She got grace. And I think we need to relax in that. Stop striving. Stop rushing around. Stop trying worrying. Stop trying to make ourselves something when God loves us so deeply. Romans six one. What shall we say to all this? Are we to remain in sin in order that God's grace may multiply and overflow? Certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? And there we are back at the cross. We've got to consider ourselves dead. Took me a long while to get this one as well. You're dead to sin. You're dead to sin. Keep saying it to yourself. (laughs) It doesn't have any power over you. That grudge you've had since 1974, you're dead. Have you been offended by something somebody said to you recently? I have. And it it gets you, doesn't it? And then you're too upset to say anything back. So you mull it over and you take it away with you and you're thinking it over and making it all... Making yourself feel worse. You're dead. You're dead, Janice. What are you doing? Messing about, thinking these thoughts. You're dead. That habit. You're dead. You're in the grace of God. You don't take God's grace for granted. Don't think I can do this, God won't mind. He does mind. We have to grow in grace. We have to stand in it, we have to walk in it, we have to live in it every moment of every day. And the more we need, the more we get. If you need some grace, God will pour it out as much as you need and more. So, I'm standing in the grace of God. Charles Wesley. Last verse of one of his hymns. Oh, that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace. The arms of love that compass me would all mankind embrace. That's what we have to do with grace. We have to take it out to the world. And John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, this is another poem he wrote, the last verse. Just close your eyes for a minute and just have a picture of the cross and of Jesus on the cross. Thus, while his death, my sin displays. That's where your sin is. There on that cross. In all its blackest hue, 
There it is. Such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon too. And to finish, I have rewritten the grace. Took it upon myself. (laughs) And will you stand with me while I say it? And so, the grace, the undeserved, unmerited favour of our wonderful Saviour Jesus Christ and the perfect love of Almighty God, creator of all things, is with every one of you this moment and for all eternity. He is with you. He is for you. He is in you. You are the apple of God's eye. And I want you to shake hands with the person next to you and say to them, you are God's favourite. That's me for